0: Welcome to Wanja City or Wanja City. My name is Wanja and you are now in my city. Why city? Because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. We are now building Wanja City tours where our slogan is the Wanja City of it all. Because we have more than audacity in this city. We are Wanja City. So come along as we seek wisdom in this first of a four-part series in what I'm calling Tracking Wisdom. We will start with the lady, wisdom, and the simple man. Now there's this lady. You may know her, you may not know her. She's skilled, knowledgeable, likable. She has it going on. She's what you may call well put together. The kind of person who inspires younger girls to be like her. Uh, when I grow up, I want to be like her kind of person. I call her sister wise. She's that older sister you've always admired. The one who sets the pace, career-wise, relationship-wise, every which way you think to look, you only need to look up to her for a living, breathing, shining example of a gold standard of a human being. She models a disciplined, prudent life. Her priorities are in check, faith, family, friends, finances, fun. Check, 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 check. She's simply fantastic. With a healthy fear of God, she knows who her ultimate is. I mean, her parents are proud of her. Gracious, generous, beautiful, dutiful daughter, the raised, they may be a bit biased, but can you blame them? She's admirable. Her walk, this she sticks to straight paths, fixing her gaze straight ahead. Her head is what some call screwed on right. Hardworking, generous, all-round good girl. Impeccable reputation among her neighbours. Like, she's just a gem. She's otherwise called Wisdom, this is the wise. But we'll call her Lady Wisdom. She's a lady after all. Now the following are some of the nuggets of, well, wisdom that I've picked over the course of reading through the Proverbs. Actually, this began with a challenge to read a chapter of Proverbs a day. I've done this for the last few months. I also did it in my life group. Life group, you know, that group of people you do life with, share about God and life. In some circles, you may know it as a cell group or care group, it's simply fellowship. Here in Kenya, we just say "fellow." Mine are pearls. Really, that's our name. Pearls. More than a name, I found the experience of sharing lessons we learned from the Bible, which is God's word, to be life. Pearls? (laughs) Let's start from the beginning. In chapter 1, we find that the purpose of Proverbs is clearly identified as for attaining wisdom and discipline understanding words of insight this chapter urges us to fear the lord because it's the beginning of knowledge that's first so that's where we start number one what i did note from this chapter is that wisdom is a she i'm just reporting what i saw and she urges us to listen to her and we will dwell in safety without fear of harm that's why we call her lady wisdom you know because she's identified as a she the contrast is To the simple man, because here you will keep hearing this proverb street, simple means foolish. Let me just put that out. Again, just reporting facts. That's what the word says. I'm just reporting. You'll also hear me use the word folly. Same thing. Simple, folly, proverb streets, smarts. It's the contrast to wisdom. Get used to it, you'll hear a lot of wisdom versus folly, righteous versus wicked, good versus bad. That's the language of this here, proverb streets. Let's go to chapter 2. Yeah, we list the moral benefits of wisdom. We, mere mortals, are urged to seek wisdom as if we were searching for silver or hidden treasure. You know that kind of heart. Look for wisdom like that. Because the law gives wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. In chapter 3, we're told that you're blessed when you find wisdom and gain understanding. She's more profitable than silver, yields better results than gold, and is more precious than rubies. I mean, a lot of silver, gold, and ruby stuff goes on in these proverbs. So it occurs to me that having wisdom is more than having money in the pocket. Actually, verse 16 of chapter 3 just summarizes it really well. It says, long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. We best find her. Now in chapter 4, there are many things we are told, but I love this verse that says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And this we do by embracing wisdom, which is supreme. I really like this statement, that whatever else you get, get understanding. I see it a lot. Whatever else you get, get understanding. If you esteem wisdom, she'll honor you and, quote, set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Mm. Mm -mm. In chapter 5, this is a whole chapter warning against adultery, especially to men who are urged to be forever captivated by their wife's love. There's some very descriptive love of husband for wife in this chapter. I just read it for yourself. Let me not ruin it. And in chapter six, I found that God is concerned about even what we may call quote small things in my life, like money, sleep, your attitudes and the resulting actions. Because we're asked to free ourselves from debt quickly. We're supposed to be organized like ants at work because laziness and too much sleep are no no's and avoid what God hates and detests. I think that's just wisdom in itself. And there's several things listed, including a haughty eye, that pride God really hates. Lies, dissension among brothers, murder, etc. I think most of us would agree on this. Murder, bad. Laziness, no no. Then the writer goes on to give more warning against adultery in this chapter 6. yeah, And listen to why. Quote, For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. <laughs> Nothing like imagery to drive the point home. Reduces you to a loaf of bread. Hey, let's move to chapter 7. Now in chapter 7, We speak of the adulteress. The warning in this chapter is not just against adultery generally, but against adulteress specifically. There's a very believable description uh, painted here of a young man who lacks judgment. He has no sense. He happens to be walking near Sugar Sugar Mama's house when she comes out and seduces him with her persuasive words, her smooth talk, her provocative dressing and crafty intent. All at once he follows her. <laughs> Hilarious. I mean all at once. what like surprise He simply found himself taking ad- taken advantage of. Please let's examine the facts. He was walking in the direction of Madame notorious's house as the dark of night set in. Excuse me if I don't buy that line, innocent you know, by standard. at least not in this instance. <laughs> he just lacks sense. Matthew, this is the third chapter in a row addressing adultery. That's sex outside of marriage. Like married people having sex with other people, whether single or not. Outside, what? Do you get what I'm saying? The father, because this is a father talking to the son. He seems to be hammering the point to his son. Like, be warned. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. He's just saying, keep away, keep away, keep away. And then in verse 4, the advice given is to call wisdom your sister and understanding your relative. That the way to get sense is to basically embrace your sister. Wise. There's also the approach of seeing this temptress as not just any adult dress, but any sweetly seductive of temptation that leads to death, so that you know you don't have the excuse for not committing adultery. But you know we can be seduced or tempted by things that are not necessarily women in tight provocative dresses. Let's move to chapter eight, and here we meet wisdom herself because she's. Busy calling out in the streets loudly, she raises her voice, puts a very convincing argument for listening to her instruction. Because she says, it leads to life and favor from the Lord. I mean, who doesn't need that? And the reverse is true for those who fail to find her. She says they hate her. Like, if you hate wisdom, yours is harm and death. There is no meaning of words here. Wisdom's benefits are many, she says. Knowledge, discretion, counsel, sound judgment, understanding and power by which kings reign and rulers make just laws. She's also in possession of riches and honor, enduring wealth, prosperity, with her fruit being better than fine gold and her yields surpassing choice silver. Now, personally, I found very strong parallels between wisdom and the Holy Spirit. They are at the beginning of creation, the craftsman at God's side. Isn't that what Genesis 1 one says? At least Genesis chapter 1. Also, like wisdom, Uh, She calls out to all mankind. I also like that Wisdom calls out to all mankind, so there's no excuse to miss her. Therefore, if I listen for Wisdom's call, am I then not in tune with the Holy Spirit? Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, so chapter 9, and this is the last chapter in this first portion of Wisdom. We have to invite to two very different parties, hosted by two very different hostesses. One calls those who want to live their simple ways. Remember, simple in the proverb streets means what? Foolish. Yes. So she's calling us or anyone who wants to really live their simple ways to walk in and find understanding and live. The promise is simple. Life. Quantity and quality. That's party number one. Party number two. Costas number two. Even her she's calling the same people. the simple. But here there's no promise of life. In fact, here the plan is just... Simple. To party. And stay foolish. And then die. So we have two ladies, two paths, two choices, two outcomes. Wisdom versus folly. Life versus death. You choose. Let me just say in concluding this first part of um, Lady Wisdom or the Proverbs introduction. The thing I found about the Proverbs is that they are very cut and dried. It's a... Or B. There's no C. You're either for and with wisdom or for and with folly. There's no grey area. They are simple, simply stated, even simple sounding, but they're never simplistic. But honestly, honestly, I just sometimes find them, they just sound juvenile. Ironically, it can feel a little difficult to reconcile to real life, reality to the theories offered here. Like do A and all will go well, or do B and all is lost. Let me ask, is life really like that? What are the times you do all the right things and some bad things happen? What are the people who do many, if not all, the B things, you know, the bad things, wicked things, wisdom is deterring us from? What about that? Now, get me clear. I'm not saying that these are simply classroom theories told to children with no bearing on adult life. What I would appreciate is a different perspective. That is, how do I put this? This is a more realistic perspective, a more practical, real-life perspective. But one of the reasons I enjoy studying the Word of God is that the answers are all there. Even that other realistic perspective of wisdom is available. So it's fortunate that this second portion of the episode looks into it, and we'll just (laughs) write into it now in the second portion we'll be looking at ecclesiastes t- titled this subtitle as a simple conclusion and then sub subtitle midlife crisis because oh just follow me it gets good because we are talking about disillusioned middle-aged men they come in many packages poor rich educated not so much lazy hand Successful and the varying degrees of the same from super successful all the way to not at all. Why am I going on and on about this man in midlife crisis? They, and particularly the accomplished kind, are what I imagine of a certain Bible character. We will call him professor or prof. Because you see in Ecclesiastes, The teacher, as he's called, exhibits the kind of realistic perspective that is different from the rather idealistic approach presented in Proverbs. His is a balanced, tested wisdom, the kind that a more mature, sophisticated, yet somewhat disillusioned man may project. Because, you see, he's a man who has seen and done it all, a learned experienced, even worldly man who displays some esteem for God. Yet he appears conflicted from his observations and personal experiences. There's a dimming of the light that may have once shined at the beginning of his life's journey. I mean, we think he says he's had a good life so far, but he's also seen his fair share of disappointment. You should hear what this guy has to say about not finding one honourable woman among them all. Some lady did a number on this one, poor guy. But don't pity him just yet. Listen into his wisdom first. Then feel how you will about Prof. We will just do two, two chapters in this introduction of Ecclesiastes. That's chapter one and two. And we go. Useless. Vain. Nothing. A vapor. Smoke. Weary some. Nothing new. Yeah, those are the introductory words. The professor of life, that's what I'm calling the teacher, is speaking so we are listening. And that's his opening speech. Meaningless, meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He states that there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing that hasn't already existed before. No one is remembered or will be remembered. Not the old, not even the unborn. No one will remember anyone. Quite the opening speech. The professor cites his credentials and past experience. I mean, when you're accomplished, I guess that's what you do. He concludes by saying that based on his application of wisdom, of madness and folly, he has learned that it is a chasing after the wind. <laughs> that's how he talks. Get used to it. Like the many things he has seen under the sun, all of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Now in chapter 2, Prof turns to pleasure and declares that laughter is foolish. What, we can't even laugh now? And the Prof goes on to list his possessions and projects, his houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, reservoirs, all his many workers on his farms and fruit trees, his own herds and flocks, his amass great belt, silver and gold, there they are. He does not shy away from boasting about his indulgence in what he calls the delights of the heart of man. (laughs) Professor of Life tells us how he saw nothing wrong with pleasuring his heart. After all, it was the reward of all his hard work and labor. Yet, when he had surveyed all that his hands had done, it was nothing meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He then considers wisdom and folly, again stating that they are meaningless because why both the wise and the foolish share the same fate they all die i mean wow just wow do you get the sense of depression we are dealing with here like crisis there's some light though as he admits that light is better than darkness and that wisdom is better than folly despite their shared fate it's something we will take it and then he goes for toil toil is also meaningless and he hated it See, he had begun to despair over all his toilsome labour under the sun. What's the gain of all the toil and anxious striving as he laboured, with no sign of rest, at night? So we're also dealing with insomnia. I mean, this guy. We close this chapter and this introductory part to Ecclesiastes by hearing Professor restate his catchphrase. You know it by now, say it together, say it loud. Meaningless, chasing after the wind. But before that, he sneaks in some goodness. He says, eat, drink, and find satisfaction in your work. Because if you can eat or find enjoyment, that is from God, Professor argues. He adds that wisdom, knowledge, and happiness are gifts to the one who pleases God. Uh So, Prof concedes that wisdom is not meaningless after all. We'll have to find out in the ensuing chapters. Meanwhile, we'll just eat, drink, and find satisfaction in our work. A simple conclusion. We can take a sip of water. We're about done. Because finally, we come to a not-so-simple man. Let me start by issuing a disclaimer in this last third of the episode. There are many great men and women mentioned in the Bible. Faith fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Prince of Egypt, Moses, the deliverer, lawgiver, friend of God, Deborah, the prophetess and judge. Great prophets like Elijah and Elisha. David and his successor son, Solomon the Wise. Mary, the mother of Jesus. The apostle Paul. Many. So many great men and women are mentioned, spoken of. They constitute the characters in the Bible. But not all of them have a book of the Bible named after them. And not because they weren't great or didn't do great things. I mean, just take David as an example. Shepherd boy. Giant slayer. Master musician. Guild warrior passionate, praiser, handsome, loving, fearsome king, and man after God's own heart. Enough content to fill several books. This is the content we signed up for. And he does feature in several things, you know, Psalms, Chronicles, Samuel, he's everywhere. But we don't have a book named David in the Bible. We have Joshua, Ruth, Samuel, Ezra, Nehemiah, several other prophets and some disciples, apostles like Peter and John. And then we have Job. An entire 42 chapters is dedicated to telling us this man's story. Now, my let me just put this out. This is a disclaimer within a disclaimer. All scripture points to Jesus. All. He is the central character. Colossians tells us that all things consist in him, through him, and for him. And scripture is no exception. Now, every story, right from creation story, and the first man, you know, Adam, yeah who also doesn't have a book named after him in the bible right up to revelation is about jesus that being said for some reason some special people get to star in their books in the bible and one of them is job the other characters who feature in the story yes but the story is about job's life for that reason alone and here's the disclaimer you'll excuse me if i say with the main character in his own story after all, when you watch a movie, don't you identify with the main character or at least the most interesting character? Job is just that in the book of Job. And what I like about Job, this is almost, no, this, these are my feelings, is that this is a real example of an upright man who suffered heart-wrenching tragedies and responded authentically. It's not a theory with a nameless, faceless, postulating person He's an extremely righteous man who's experienced extremely unjust circumstances, and he's telling us, or someone told his tale for us, and we walk through his roller coaster like emotional state of mind. Hey, let's just let's just go to chapter one where he's tested. Now this scene begins with a heavenly courtroom scene where God is praising or speaking highly. Let me just call it bragging to the angels about Job for being. Quote, blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. These are God's own words. Would the same be said of you? What does God even say of me in heaven? I I just wonder. How likely is it that there are many people on earth like Job? However, God goes ahead to permit Satan to test this righteous man. And he does. Because Satan, that's what he does. That dragon goes ahead to destroy Job's considerable wealth and children. All ten children, seven sons, three daughters, and their adults. No mercy, dead in one fell swoop. And what is Job's reaction? He worships God. He worships God. Remarkable. This man just keeps shaming us. Okay, okay. Let me speak for myself. Me. Now, do you see why God was up there boasting about this man's blamelessness? In chapter 2, it happens again. We are back in those heavenly courts. God is still proud of Job. He's telling Satan, among the other courtiers, how there is no one like Job on earth. He's blameless and he's still holding fast to his integrity despite Satan moving God to destroy him without cause. Do you know what that diabolical being does? I mean, he went back to that celestial court to incite God to test Job further, arguing that Job had only stuck by God after the harsh test because he was not personally afflicted. I mean, do you just not feel he has sama now? Not personally afflicted. All that money and then 10 children. Atago. And he's not personally afflicted. Yeah, according to Satan, Satan that he needed to have literal skin in the game or skin for skin. Actually, he said skin for skin in NIV. He said, well, Satan afflicts him with painful bodily sores. Then he has the added pressure from his wife to renounce God and die. He ignores her. He's still not sinning against God, but worshiping okay an aside please let me just put it on record that i feel that job's wife is highly misunderstood because she's at least from what i've seen she's made to seem like a cruel wife somehow we just miss seeing her own pain as a grieving mother of 10 now deceased children and focus on the two lines that are attributed to her in the book for what it's worth i sympathize with her grief end of aside. side Back to Job who worships again after another undeserved test from Satan with God's permission and his reaction is simply amazing. What else can we say in response to his response? We're then told that Job's three friends made an appointment together. They come to comfort him because they've had all this evil that's come upon him. Apparently, Job looked so bad sitting among the ashes, scraping himself with a piece of broken pottery, when his three friends saw him from afar off they could not recognize him then it gets better or worse (laughs) because these three grown respectable men lifted their voices and wept tore their robes sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven yeah i think that's how they would mourn those days because yeah do you see that picture let's move on i think we can safely say he was quite the sore side too soon Okay, they sat with Job on the ground, seven days and seven nights, not saying a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. basically standing in silence. But this man, he's no simple man. And as we'll find out, there's wisdom to be learned from Job. So welcome to Tracking Wisdom, a four-part series that seeks wisdom in what we are calling the wisdom books of, what have been called the wisdom books of the Bible. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. This has been the introductory episode of the series that introduced us to the Lady Wisdom in Proverbs, the Critic or Professor in Ecclesiastes, and the afflicted reverent Jew. In the next episode, we will track Wisdom by meeting the Lady Justice, find out about the Professor's Justice desire, and ask the question, where's the Justice? Then, there will be a third episode in the series where we'll be introduced to the Bride and the Man with a Plan. We'll get some insight from a proper plan and see what happens. I mean, there's a surprise in the plan because, as you know, even the best laid plans don't always go according to plan. And in the final installment of this wisdom series, we will have something from the wise proverbs woman and her king because, you know, a woman like that gotta have a king. We will hear a concluding king's word from Ecclesiastes before summing it up with a magnificent king's speech. In job, You want to stay tuned. I know I do. So let's meet in the next episode, shall we? This has been your hostess, Wanja. Wanjacity. Oh, the Wanjacity of it all.